with it. Take your Bible out with me, if you will, and turn to the book of Proverbs this morning. If you do not have a copy of God's Word, there is one right in front of you in the pew below you, and uh, you can grab that. Proverbs chapter 3. If you need an outline for this morning, raise your hand real quick and make sure that you get one. Anybody need an outline? Matt, uh, John Matthew, there's one right down here, I think, just one. Anybody else? We need one. Anybody else need an outline? There's one over there, one here. Anybody else need an outline? There's one, there's one. Anybody else? Just raise your hand and we'll give it to you. Very good. There's one over there. All right. Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs is known as, we're going to take a little quiz this morning. Proverbs is known as the book of what? The book of what? The book of wisdom. Okay. So, uh, as we studied it for years and years, I don't know, I think we took four or five, maybe six years to study through the entire book. But as we study through it, we learn that wisdom really is the most important thing in the world, at least in God's, from God's perspective. That may not be in your perspective. You may think that something else is more important than God's word or God's wisdom, but God says it is the principal thing. Therefore, with all thy getting, get understanding. And he encourages us. In fact, he admonishes us to go toward wisdom and he reproves us when we don't. And as you go through the book of Proverbs, especially the first five, six, seven uh, chapters, it really is so beautifully personal because Solomon is writing to his son Rehoboam. And he wants his son to turn out better than him. How many parents want their kids to turn out better than you did, right? And so uh, he really does want Rehoboam to make right choices. And, and, and he, he leads him in the path of wisdom because he knows that really only right choices come from making God's choices. Where the, when, when God says, this is what I want you to do, and this is where I want you to go, this is what I, what I don't want your life to look like. And when we say, okay, that's the wisdom of God. When we accept that, that's the best life. And that's what Solomon writes uh, to his son Rehoboam. Now, by inspiration of God and by his preservation, we get to partake in that. We get to look in the Bible as present-day Christians. And by the way, the truth never changes. Amen. Uh, I still have, Jeanette, I still have that sign. Can I get an amen and, uh, that you gave me years ago? And, uh, and, 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 and so when we, when we say, uh, you know, okay, Lord, we're going to look at the book of wisdom. I want you to think of this. God wants to speak to you. Whenever you open the word of God, he wants to speak to you. Proverbs chapter 2 actually says that wisdom comes from the mouth of God. So as we look in this passage this morning, I want you to think, okay, if wisdom is going to guide me, and, and, and God promises some things, are they just carte blanche? God promises to us all that he is and all that he promises to us without there being any rule of thumb, without there being something that I have to uphold, or is it just an open-ended covenant? Is it just something that God pours out because God is so benevolent, all people go to heaven? By the way, only all dogs go to heaven. Cats go to another place, but uh, all dogs go to heaven. But all, parent, all, all people have to get saved, okay? Maybe your cat, I, I don't know, uh, maybe. Probably not, but maybe. I'm just going to, we'll just put it out there. We hope so. <laughs> I'll come sprinkle some water on her and see what she does. Um, how did I get on that? I don't know. Uh, anyway, so when we, when we look to the scriptures in Proverbs chapter 3, I want you to get the context is God is wanting us to follow wisdom. He wants us to accept his word, and he wants us to trust him in it. So the title of the message this morning is Trusting God's Will. Look at uh, Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 1. And here's how you know how personal it is for Solomon. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. Now look up here. I don't want you to read this as if Solomon's writing to Rehoboam. I want you to read this as if God is writing to you because that's what it is. 
All right? Now listen to how personal God wants to make it. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God. Oh, and look, and man. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes, fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the, a father, the son in whom he delighteth. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding. There's nothing more important in the life of a believer than to know God's will and to do it. Some people try to manufacture it. Others try to mystify it. Some guess at it all of their life, and some actually find it and live it to the fullest. It's very apparent in the text that when we take God's law and we make it a part of our heart, that it affects our life. Literally, it says, length of days are going to be added to your life, a long life, and peace shall they add. In fact, it goes on to say that you're going to have favor both with God and man. Isn't it interesting that Jesus had favor both with God and man? The Bible says that he grew in stature and wisdom and in favor both with God and man. Why? Because Jesus is the personal manifestation of wisdom on this world, in this earth. And so it's one thing to say, I want the will of God. It's another thing to say, how do I get it? Um, how important is it to me? Henry, uh, Henry, Henrietta Mears is best known for her work in Christian education in the mid-1900s down in Southern California. And she wrote one day about the will of God, this statement, and I quote, Will is the whole man active. I cannot give up my will. I must exercise it. I must will to obey when God gives a command or a vision of truth. It's never a question of what he will do, but what we will do. To be successful in God's work is to fall in line with his will and to do it, listen, his way. All that is pleasing to him, she said, is a success. You see, we've got this thing of success completely mixed around. We think success equals something that the world tells us. And God's word says, no, no, no. Success is doing my will in your life. Jesus Christ, would you agree with me, is the epitome of success. And he bowed before the cross in the garden. And he said, nevertheless, not my will, say it with me, but thine be done. Sadly, I believe that there are too many Christians living outside of God's will and some form or fashion simply because they're not willing to crucify, listen, their own affections and lusts and trust God. Elizabeth Elliot, uh, uh, the widow, uh, the missionary widow said this, and I quote, when the will of God crosses the will of man, somebody has to die. And that's true because my will doesn't always line up with God's will. Another writer said it this way, what hinders you more than your own affections not fully mortified to the will of God? Nothing. The only thing that hinders me from doing the will of God is my own will and my own affections. It's clear from the Bible then that there is no better place to live than in the center of God's will. 
And if that is the case, shouldn't we do our utmost to seek it out and commit our lives to it? Andrew Murray said, God is ready to assume full responsibility for the whole life wholly yielded to him. Proverbs chapter 3 is a prime passage on, on how God uses his wisdom to direct our paths when we are willing to trust and to follow him. The key verses in the passage are obviously verses 5 and 6. Notice what it says. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Now let's go backwards. Look at verse 6. In all thy ways acknowledge him. Do you know who we acknowledge mostly when it comes to the whole man active? Ourselves. That's the majority of what happens. We don't acknowledge God in a situation or God's will. Instead, we acknowledge ourself in every way. So God says, no, no, that's part of it. Part of understanding my will, understanding my wisdom is that you would acknowledge me in all of your ways. Then notice what it says back up in verse five, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and then and lean not into thine own understanding. Um, I can be lazy at times especially when I'm tired. And when I lean on something, I expect it to hold me up, right? And, and the idea here in this text is leaning against a wall. It would be my, like me coming back to this wall and just doing this. I expect it to uphold me, and I, and, and I believe that this is, gonna, this is what's solid. This is what I trust. Now watch, lean not on your own understanding. God's saying, don't trust what you can understand. Don't trust what you think you know. Trust, listen, in what I know. And that's totally different. You know that the Bible says that Jesus committed himself to the Lord of righteousness, speaking of when he died on the cross. Why? Because he knew that God's will was better than his will. And he subjected himself. In fact, the Bible says that he leaves us that example the key verses are verses 5 and 6, a promise God's people have often claimed as they have sought the Lord's direction for their lives, no doubt. And this promise has never failed them. Listen, if, if they obeyed the conditions that God has laid down in the passage, God keeps his promises when we obey his precepts. You should write that down. God keeps his promises when we obey his precepts because our obedience prepares us to receive and enjoy what he's planned for us. When we decide to trust in the Lord with all of our heart, our heart, and we take and we keep our understanding in the background, and then in all of our ways we acknowledge him and his will, guess what? He directs our paths. That word direct means he makes them straight. Let me ask you a question. What's the shortest distance between two points? A straight line. And God says, listen, here's what I want you to do. Are you willing to do it? Yes, Lord, I trust you. Then here it is. You have the shortest distance to my will, and I'm going to make it straight for you. He directs his path. By the way, the steps of a good man are directed by the Lord. Let me ask you this. Are you living in the will of God at this very second, right now? As the Holy Spirit takes inventory of your heart, are you living in the will of God for your life? Now, for those of you that may not be familiar with that, that is this. What does God want of your life? What does God expect from your life? 
How does he expect you to live as a son or a daughter? How does he expect you to live as a husband? How does he expect you to live in a moral sense? How does he expect you to live uh, in your community? How does he expect you to live as a Christian in your community? How does he expect you to live as a spouse? How does he expect you to live at work? How does he expect you to live at school? All of these things. How does he expect you to keep your heart? What's your mind thinking about all of this? Am I living in God's will? Am I doing what God wants me to do. Let me ask you this. Are you willing to trust him no matter what that means? With all of your heart. That's a huge thing, is it not? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Are you willing to trust him no matter what that means and then follow his directions because he promises. By the way, you should receive God's promises as if they are already done because they're already done. They're already they're already prime tendered to be spent. They are a promissory note waiting for you and I to hold them up and say, Lord, do as thou hast said. And he said, if you're going to trust me, then I promise you, I will direct your paths. If you and I are going to, uh, if you and I then are going to do God's will, I want you to notice three commanding keys to knowing and trusting God's will. Now, some of us are like, okay, I would trust it if I could just figure it out, all right? If I would just if I would just hear from God. And by the way, if you desire the will of God in your marriage, in your home, in your life, um, in, in your friends, in, in, in some way, God, I just want to do your will. I know this. The Bible says that if you seek him early, you'll find him. It's a promise of God. If you seek, with me, seek me with all your heart. You see, there's some things that the Bible commands specifically that we do with all of our heart. We've got to trust him with all of our heart. We've got to seek him with all of our heart. And then we've got to serve him with all of our heart. I preached that message several years ago. Now, the fact of the matter is, if I'm willing to do God's will, shouldn't I do my best or really to find it out? Shouldn't I be willing to say, Lord, and, and, and am, I, am I willing to accept what he says? Well, if I want to find out God's will, number one, I've got to know who God is. I've got to know who God is. By the way, I'm going to tell you who God is by the word of God. John chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. You said, you didn't tell us who God was. Well, if you continue to read the story, the Bible tells us who God is. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was God manifest in the flesh. And the Bible, when you read it, reveals God to us. It's the general revelation of God according to his word. How in the world am I supposed to know God's will for my life until I first know God myself? And I've got to recognize him for who he is. Letter A, let's just talk about the facts. He's the creator of all life. In the beginning, God. Proverbs 16, 4, the Lord hath made all things for himself. Psalm 33, 6, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made. Psalm 33, 8, let all the earth fear the Lord and all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he, listen, for he spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. I want you to know that it's important for us and for our children and for our grandchildren and anybody else that will listen that God is the creator of all life. And that because of that, life is precious. But he's not just the creator of all life. Secondly, he's the governor of all life. He is the governor of all life. God governs in the affairs of man, but in all of his creation. Colossians 1.16, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Listen, 
All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. You know who brought the clouds over this morning? God. You know who brought the humidity? God. I wish he didn't. I woke up this morning and I, I went outside to feed the dog and I was like, oh my goodness, this is Missouri. Where's my address? 77% humidity when I walked out the back door this morning. I was like, <laughs> I was like, okay, Maggie, hold your breath. There's no oxygen out here. We got to hurry up and eat you. Uh, not eat you, feed you. Um, it was awful. But guess, guess what? God was governing that. God governs the fact that you and I have air to breathe. God governs the fact that our hearts are beating this morning, that our lungs are filling with his air. And by the way, for that, to God be the glory for all of that. He's the governor of it all. He's the one that spoke it into existence, told the seas, you can't go past this line, and they obey. Isn't it amazing that even his creation obeys as well? He's not just the creator of all life. And he's not just the sustainer or the governor of all life. Let her see, he's the savior of it all. He's the savior of it all. Now, listen, if I want to know God's will, I've got to know him for who he is. I've got to accept the fact that this is God and he is the savior. By the way, he's the only savior. Isaiah 43 says, I, even I am the Lord. And beside me, there is no savior. I have declared and have saved. And I have showed when there was no strange God among you. Therefore, ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. Jesus said, I, uh, Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Now listen, a God like that can do anything. If he can speak it into existence, if he can save a soul from hell and keep us from spending eternity in hell and death, then that God can do anything. A God like that can then be trusted. If he can take nothing and make everything, if he can govern it all, if he can take my sin, put it on his own body on the tree, that I could be dead to sin and live under righteousness, that's the kind of God that can be trusted. Now let me ask you this. Do you know him as Savior? Okay, I believe in creation, Pastor. You made it pretty clear that God created us. We didn't evolve. Okay. I believe that something must be holding all of this world together. By the way, it's not gravity, it's God. Okay? But do you know him as Savior? Because that's the most important way to know him. And you can't really know God without the Savior. Jesus said that. Have you ever been born again according to the Word of God? Because only God can forgive sins. And Jesus Christ is God. His will, listen, is the rewarder, is the reward for coming to him by faith. Listen to the Bible, Hebrews eleven six. but without faith it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God, listen, must believe that he is. All of what he is. Oh, look, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. What are you seeking God for? Well, I'm seeking God to pay my bills. I'm seeking God to restore this relationship. I'm seeking God to burn that house down. <laughs> I'm seeking Whatever. We seek God that way, selfishly, right? God says, no, no, that's not how steps get directed. Steps get directed when you seek me. The Bible says he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him, not you. You cannot possibly know God's will for your life without knowing him personally. You just got to know who God is. Secondly, you've got to learn God's word. It's very clear from the text. 
My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck, write them upon the table of thine heart, so shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Let's just agree this morning that the will of God is revealed in the word of God. And the only way to know his will is to study his word and obey it. How do I know that I need to be saved? The Bible tells me that. How do I know that God loves me? The Bible tells me that. How do I know how I should live as a spouse? How do I know how I, how, how do I know how I should speak to people? How do I know about having, uh, uh, about living the Christian life? The Bible tells me that. The Bible is how God's will is revealed. Colossians 1 and verse 9, for this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Why? That you may walk worthy of the Lord and all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. You know what? If you really want to know God's will, you got to draw an eye to God. And you draw an eye to God when you are in his word and on your knees at the same time. When you're seeking his face in the word of God, Jesus said, search the scriptures for they are they which testify of me. Now, I, if, if you and I want to know the will of God, then I've got to not just know God, I've also got to learn and know his scriptures. Now watch this, and this is, this is key to all this. In the scripture, letter A, we learn about God's character. That's, that's where we get to know God, not just for, you know, his title's sake. Oh, he's the creator. He's the governor. He's the savior. But we learn about his heart. We learn about the essence of who he is. We learn about God's character. For instance, the Bible tells us that he is a holy God. What does that mean? He's without sin. He cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. He is holy. He is all alone. He, he is transcendent of his creation. Listen, God is not like us. I don't care what the Mormons say. God is not us. God is not like us. We are sinners. He's holy and perfect. The Bible says, be ye therefore holy as I am holy. He's holy. The Bible tells us about his character that it's good. Listen to me. If you don't get anything else out of this message today, understand this. God is good and he's good all the time. That means his work is good. That means his will is good and acceptable and perfect. That means that he can't do anything but be good. And that means, by the way, that he doesn't need anything to be any more good, and he cannot do anything to be any less good. He is perfectly good. And we need to know that. Why? Because the devil tells us otherwise all the time. And our heart tells us that. He's holy. He's good. The Bible tells us he's love. You ever feel unloved? If you feel unloved and uncared for, it's because you don't know God, and you don't know God's word. Because according to the Bible in 1 John 4, 8, God is exactly love. And he, out of his love, is good. And that love is what brought Jesus Christ to this world. His love is what grants you the favor that you, that you so desperately need in your homes and in your lives. That's his love. And by the way, a God that is holy and good and love never changes. He doesn't stop being love when we disobey. He doesn't stop. He doesn't stop being good when we think he's not good. He doesn't stop being holy when the whole world says that he's some kind of ogre. It doesn't stop being who he is. He never changes. For I am the Lord, I change not, the Bible says. God's character teaches us that his will is the same, good, acceptable, and perfect. His thoughts may be higher than ours, but they're always for our good. 
Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the thoughts God says that I think toward you, saith the Lord, uh, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil. Why? To bring you to an expected end. That's the character of our God. We learn about God's character. Secondly, in the word of God, we learn about God's purpose. We learn about God's purpose. John 17, 3, Jesus said, And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. The purpose of the word of God is so that mankind can be shown that they need to be saved from sin and know the only true God by the way of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the entire purpose. God's purpose is to save us. Jesus said in, in Luke 19, 10, for the, uh, for, uh, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. God intervened in our history to bring salvation by grace through faith to mankind. And by the way, that purpose remains intact. It's still the same. God's purpose is to save mankind. Now watch, a holy and benevolent and an unchanging, all-powerful, amazing God wants to save a depraved, sinful race called mankind. That's his purpose. His character says, I love them. His character, though holy, is also full of mercy and slow to anger and, and full of compassion. So that why? So that he could save us. Then let her see in the word of God, we not just learn about God's purpose, we learn about God's plan to use his people in accordance with his purpose. God's will for our lives revolves, God's will for your life revolves around using you to reach others with the gospel. Did you know that? Because when you become a child of the king, you innately adopt the mission of the king. God says, this is what I want for your life. I want to use you. And though you may not be wanting to, like we're learning in Sunday school about Jonah, I want to use you. So I'm going to do whatever it takes to get your attention because I love you, but I also love all of them. And I want you to be a part of my purpose. Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. You see, we think all things work together for good regardless of whether I love God or whether I'm revolved, uh, involved in his purpose. You see what I mean? There again, we want to take a blank check from God. It says, if you're loving me and if you are involved in my purpose, then I know your heart. Now I can see it in your life. And I want to work in you. The next verse tells us for what? That we could be conformed to the image of Christ. That's what it's all about. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable, reasonable service. Now, all of that is what we learn in God's word. But there's another part of this passage that teaches us what we're supposed to do with it. And this is the part of the passage where every Christian who fails of the grace of God fails. Letter D, we're supposed to place it, all of it, in our heart. Verse 1, my son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. The Bible tells us at the end of verse 3, Write them upon the table of thine heart. Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. I think you have the quote in your notes. Central to the Christian life is what lies within your heart. 
central to your life for Christ is what lies in your heart. And God over and over and over again says, listen, you can hear it, you can listen to it, but nothing's going to happen unless you put it in your heart. For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. That's why Ezra, the Bible says in Ezra 7.10, for Ezra had prepared his heart to seek, listen, the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach Israel teach in Israel statutes and judgments. See, the fact of the matter is, if I really want to know God's will, then I need to search for it with all my heart. I've got to prepare my heart to seek the Lord. What does that mean? I'm going to prepare my heart that if God says, this is what I want you to do, that my will is going to pass an intersection, and at that intersection, I'm going to die. I'm going to crucify my flesh with its affections and lusts. I'm going to mortify the deeds of my flesh. Why? So that God's will can be done in my life. Ezra said, well, it's time for us to build the temple. And you know what? We need God's help. So I'm going to prepare my heart to seek the Lord. And I'm going to do it by searching his word. And then when I find it, I'm going to do it. But I'm also going to teach others about what his law is. When you seek the Lord's will, do you consider who he is? And he's God. He's the one that created me fearfully and wonderfully in my mama's belly. He's the one that made me that personality. He's the one that gave me all of these gifts. Do I consider who he is? He's the one that saved me. He's the one that took me from darkness and put me into light. He's the one that took all my sin and just heaped it on the Lord Jesus. In fact, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we could be made the righteousness of God in him. Do I consider him? Do you consider his purpose? When you seek the Lord's will, do you consider your role as it pertains to telling other people about Christ? We're so interested in God, what job? God, what house? God, what car? God, what client? God, what, what friends? God, what conversations? All this kind of stuff. And God says, but what about all the people that are dying? That's why I came to save you. And there are many more like you I'd like you to be involved with. How do people expect to find God, God's will without considering him first? Hebrews 12, 3, 4, consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners. I will tell you, if you will do all of that, if you're willing to consider all of that, would you be willing to put it in your heart and keep it with all diligence? The Bible says in Psalm 119 and verse 9, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word with my whole heart. With my whole heart have I sought thee, thy commandments. Oh, let me not, uh, have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. If I really want to know God's will and trust that I've got to know who God is personally. I've also got to learn from God's word. And then thirdly, I need to obey God's leading. Verse five again. Trust in the Lord. How should I trust him? With all thine heart. And lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. He shall direct thy paths. What is that? That's a promise. But the fulfillment of that promise is predicated on our obedience to the Lord. How many times have you or I come to an altar during an invitation bowed our knee, our heart, and our eyes, and said, God, whatever you want, I'll do. We've committed ourselves. Lord, I'm, I'm going to tell this person about Christ this week. Lord, I'm going to love 
my family like I'm supposed to. God, I put work first. I'm not doing that anymore. God, my mouth has just got me in so much trouble this week, and I'm going to put my tongue on this altar, and I'm going to nail it. And I don't, I don't want to leave here the same individual. It doesn't matter what it is. Lord, I'm going to tithe, and I'm going to be faithful to my tithe and my offerings. I'm going to give my missions commitment because I promised you. It doesn't matter what it is. But how many of us have ever, ever decided that I'm going to obey you here and then leave and not do it? There's no, there's no follow-through. We can say it that way. The promises of God in directing our paths, and maybe that's where we've gone wrong is we've not taken it to heart, but we're still expecting the promises. We're not putting it here, but we're still expecting the favor of God and man. God says, I'm sorry, son, that's not how it works. I need you to, I need to see in your heart that you're going to obey me. It's amazing. It's one of my favorite passages. I think I've quoted it in 21 years, probably 100 times. God says about Abraham, for I know him, that he will bring his children up in my statutes and teach him to fear me. What an amazing statement that God could see the heart of Abraham before he even had Isaac and said, I know him. I know when I give that kid to him what he's going to do. I know him because I see it. It's there. Where is it? It's in his heart. We must trust him with all of our heart and obey him in all of our ways, which means total commitment to him. The word translated trust here in our text, I love this. You may want to write it down. It means to lie helpless face down. Trust him. Lord, before you, I'm just going to lie helpless face down. I'm not moving. Not moving until you move me. I'm not doing one single thing until you pick me up and you use me means to lie helpless face down. It pictures a servant, really, waiting for the master's command and readiness to obey. It also pictures a defeated soldier yielding himself to the conquering general. The danger, of course, is that we lean on our own understanding, as I said earlier, and thereby miss God's will. This warning doesn't suggest that God's children turn off their brains and ignore their intelligence or even their common sense. It simply cautions us not to depend on our own wisdom or the experience, our own experience or the wisdom and experience of other people. Look at verse 7. The Bible says, Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord. Everything in this passage says, mm, Get your eyes off of yourself and get them on the Lord. Don't trust what you've seen over there or in that church, or in that man, or in that family, or this is my personal experience. God says, do you not know that I'm the governor of all things? Do you not know that I'm above all of this? Do you not know that I'm working all of this together? If you'll just love me and be called according to my purpose, if you'll yield to that, guess what? I'm going to direct your path right through here, and I'll take, a, I'll take the responsibility for it. Glory to God. When we become wise in our own eyes, then we're heading for trouble. So when it comes to obeying God's leading, letter A, we learn about God in steps of faith. That's how we learn. Now, now we're going to take a journey, all right? Turn in your Bibles to the New Testament, to the book of Acts. You guys don't mind if we turn a few pages, do you? Acts chapter 8, verse 35. My opinion doesn't matter, but God's does. We learn about God in steps 
of faith. Okay, now make sure that you don't misquote me and make sure that if somebody starts a rumor that you put it down, all right? I am not saying we get saved by steps of faith, all right? One day I have to pray this way, the next day I gotta get baptized, the next day I gotta be filled with the Spirit, speak in tongues, and then I'm saved. That, that, I didn't say that. We don't get saved in steps of faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Done, okay? Eternal security forever. But we learn about God in steps of faith as he is working in a life and he, and, he, and he makes people vulnerable and we grow. Watch this. In Acts chapter 8, look at verse 35. Now let me set the stage. There's a eunuch that has gone to Jerusalem and somehow, way, he's got a copy of the book of Isaiah. Now he's by himself in Gaza. Philip, who was preaching a revival and having a time and a half, people repenting and getting saved. God says, hey, there's one down there I want you to go. And so Philip goes, okay, Lord. Looks like things have changed. I'm going to Gaza. And he goes down, he sees the man. God says, hey, there's this chariot. Go join thyself to him. So he runs down. When he stands next to him, he hears him reading out of the book of Isaiah. And the Bible says in verse, what did I say? In verse 35. Uh, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Before that, look up here. He says, do you understand what you're reading? He goes, how can I accept someone show me? Verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Now watch. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Philip said, If thou believest with all thine what? Heart thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. What happened? He was trying to learn about God. We could say it this way. He was seeking God with all of his heart. And one man came alongside and said, hey, listen, the person you're seeking is Jesus Christ. He died. He was buried. He rose again from the grave. He's sitting on the right hand of God now. And he sent me here to tell you how to get saved. If you believe that he's the Messiah and you need to be saved, you can not only be saved, you'll be baptized. And he said, then I believe. What is that? That's learning about God in steps of faith. What did it require? He knew it was in the Word of God. He knew where to find it in Jerusalem, like his salvation is through the Jews, the Bible says. And then as he heard the Word of God told to him, what happened? The, uh, the Bible says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And as that grew and grew and grew, he came to a decision point. What happened? He put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ just like you and I have. And he saved. When we get to heaven, there's going to be an Ethiopian eunuch right there waiting. He's part of that crowd of, cloud of witnesses. Now, that's learning in steps of faith. Let, let, watch this. Think about your own salvation. Think about how you got saved. Think about what God had to do in your life to get you to the point where you finally got saved. What is that? Steps. Little steps of saying, wow, I don't understand this, but I think this is right. I, I, how many times have I heard, man, I've never heard this before. This is this is. This is very interesting. And then after an hour or two, then finally they go, I'm ready to be saved. I'm ready to trust Christ as my personal Savior. As I said, uh, last Wednesday night, a young man called me a couple Mondays ago, ready to commit suicide. I didn't know it. And after spending about 45 minutes with him on the phone, he, th he said, I just feel like I'm on the path to God, but I'm afraid I'm going to get off. And I said, Hunter, what happens if you get off? He said, I'm going to die and go to hell. I said, here's the problem, Hunter. I, first of all, I said, ha, ha, who taught you that? I don't know. I've just always believed it. 
I said, so you've always believed that you have to be on a certain path and maintain a certain lifestyle in order to go to heaven. And if you ever deviate from that, you're going to hell. Yeah. I said, well, can I tell you the truth? For the next 20 minutes, I just began to talk to him about the truth of the gospel, the truth about Jesus Christ. When he said he was ready to be saved, while he was praying to be saved, you know what he said to me? Is it okay if I cry? You know what I did? I know it's a shocker. I started bawling. I said, absolutely. And you know what Hunter did? Hunter prayed, and he asked Jesus Christ to save him, and he was saved. God had to work in his life to get him to that point, and he, he landed in my lap on my phone, and he got saved. What did he do? He learned about God in steps of faith. Secondly, we learn, his will, we learn about God's will in steps of faith. Okay, I know that God's will is for me to be saved because it's God's will that all men be saved. I know that's his purpose. But after I get saved, how do I learn his will? The same way. The Bible says in Acts 9 and verse 4, speaking of Saul of Tarsus, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the prince. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord. And then notice what it says. What wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, for those of you that were in Sunday school, here it is. Arise and go. Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Now Paul, then Saul, a zealot for the Jewish uh, religion, persecuting the church, now gets saved. And the first thing he says is, okay, Lord, I trusted you with my salvation. Now what do you want me to do? I want you to get up and go into the city and I want you to wait. And there it's going to be told you. Now we don't know the timeline. We don't know how long it took him to get there. We don't know how long he waited. But we do know that after a while, there was a man that was sent by God to tell him what he needed to do. And then if you follow his life, it's a series of steps in faith. Why? Because God led him to one place. By the way, when he said, Lord, what, what without having to do? He didn't say, I'm going to take your head off at, at Nero's feet. I'm going to have you stoned to death. I'm going to have you beaten with rods five times. I'm going to have you striped. I mean, he did, did he say all that? No. All he knew was God saved me. God called me to preach the word of God. And I'm going to lead everybody I possibly can to Christ. So he did. And he went on three missionary journeys. All of them brought havoc that God never revealed to him. In fact, on one of his missionary journeys, he said, I'm going to go this way. God said, no, you're not. You're not going over there. But God, I want to go over there. He said, you're not going over there. I don't want you to go over there. I want you to go over here. What did Paul say? No, bless God, this is what I want. Paul didn't do that. Paul had already had experience in those steps of faith, so he just waited over here. And then one night while he was sleeping, the Macedonian man cried for him, will, thou come over, will, will you not come over and help us? So he said, now God's leading me. Now God is giving me grace to go over there. Let her see, we follow God's will then when those steps change. Now remember, Paul is growing in grace, and I want you to go to Acts chapter 13. He's, he actually has gone to the disciples, and now he's gone back to Cyprus, and we don't know what he's doing, but we do know later in one of his letters that God's speaking to him directly and giving him a vision of heaven and preparing him. Well, then Barnabas says, you know what, I'm going to go look for that guy, Saul, who, later, who now is going to be called Paul. Barnabas goes down, and he gets... Um, Paul, and they go up to Antioch. And while they're at Antioch, they're serving. By the way, 
you've got to know that Paul was beside himself happy serving in Antioch because of what Barnabas told him. Man, I went to Antioch, and the Bible says he saw the grace of God, and he exhorted them to cleave unto the Lord with all their heart. So he's telling Paul, Paul's like, yeah, I want to go and be part of that. Paul goes up here, and notice what the Bible says in, verse, in chapter 13, verse 1. Now, there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now watch. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, what? Departed. Now the fact of the matter is, that means that sometimes God's will changes. Right? I was going to be a part of the United States Air Force for 30 years. God said, I have a different plan. I said, okay. Then I was going to be an evangelist. God said, I, I have another plan for you. I don't want you to be an evangelist. I want you to be a pastor. And I said, okay. And, 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 and what, let's go back farther. At one point, God said, I want you to be a dad. And I said, oh, no. And then he said, I want you to be a dad again. I was like, yes. And then again, yes. Then he said, wait, one more time. And I said, oh, no, not again. Then seven years later, you got one more round. I was like, no, God, stop the pain. And yet, he's a blessing. Most days. Has God's will ever changed for you? I don't know. I don't know why and when and how sometimes it happens, but I do know it happens. Regardless of the step that God desires for you to take when you trust the Lord with all your heart, your steps will be directed by faith. That's the Bible promise. And there's nothing that pleases God more than faith. Trust the Lord with all thine heart, because without faith it's impossible to please him. The Bible says, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is. Someone said straight paths come from a pure faith. Straight paths come from a pure faith. So let me ask you, let me, let me make a few statements, and then I want to ask you a couple of questions, then I'll close. These verses, along with really the context of the entire scripture, teach us several important things. I want you to write the first one down that God is trustworthy. God is trustworthy. Search the scripture, 66 books, 40 authors, perfectly preserved by God. You will never find a life that is wasted in the will of God. You won't find it. You won't find a life in here that ends up like this. God, you said I could trust you and you can't be trusted. You won't find it. Study the entire book of Revelation. Study the book of 1 Thessalonians. You will not find a single soul before the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ saying, I thought I could trust you and you lied to me. For God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he not said it, shall he not make it come to pass? The fact of the matter is God is trustworthy. And in order, secondly, to receive the promises, we've got to obey his commands from a pure heart. That's how the direct path works. And thirdly, wisdom really is the principal necessity of life. It really, really is. Do you want God's wisdom? Do you want his favor? Do you want the favor of both man and God? Do you trust God more than your own understanding, or is your own understanding kind of the way it is? 
Because, you know, sometimes when things change, it really bothers us. By the way, change is hard. It's brutal. But it's necessary for growth. In what ways are you not trusting God today, right where you are? What ways are you not trusting God? Some would look at the White House and go, ah, right? You know what the Bible says? The king's heart's in the hand of the Lord, and he turneth it whithersoever he will. What does that mean? He governs it all. Can I trust a God that allows us to have that kind of president? Yeah. Can I trust a God that can I trust a God with a country who's trying their best to legalize abortion and trying to, their best to train up a new generation of transgender children? I can trust a God like that. I can't trust man, but I can sure trust God. That's the whole point. God is trustworthy. Let me ask you this. Are you really serious about God's will in your life? Because George Truett said this, and I quote, to know the will of God is the greatest knowledge. To do the will of God is the greatest achievement. I want my children. The other day I was talking to a guy. He was asking me about my kids. He knows Braden. He was asking about where they are, what they're doing. And you know what he said to me? He said, wow, are your kids are serving God? He said, that's awesome. Sometimes I forget that. I forget how awesome it is that my kids love God, that they're saved, that they want to serve God. I forget that. God did that. I didn't. They're, they're that way in spite of me. That's God's favor. Why? Because a long time ago, my wife and I committed to do one thing and one thing only. We just want God's will. Are we perfect? Not even close. She's a little closer than I am. But you know what we never stopped trying to do? The will of God. We've always wanted that. May this be our motto, the will of God, nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father.